0: Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Luke, chapter 4. There's one person that we need to recognize this morning, and he's not here, but I know for a fact he'll be watching later in the archive, either on YouTube or on the website. And that's the man that had the vision many years ago, over 26 years ago, Uh, to begin honoring each year our emergency service personnel. Our pastor emeritus, Dr. Ralph Sexton, uh, had the vision, had the heart, and we would not be doing this today. Uh, We would uh, definitely uh, be in a different place had he not taken the initiative and stood up for emergency service personnel. Not only is our pastor emeritus, he is our Five-star general around here, our Moses, and he is an incredible community leader. He is a voice for Western North Carolina, and really for Christians all around the world. And we love and appreciate you, Granddaddy. Thank you. Uh, we we pray for you today, there in Tampa, Florida. It's hard to believe 21 years ago, September the 11th, 2001, our world truly changed forever. It's one of the greatest losses of life in American history in one day, and the greatest impact, the greatest loss of life ever on emergency service in one day. 343 members of the New York City Fire Department, 37 members of the Port Authority Police Department, both in New York and New Jersey, Twenty-three police officers with the NYPD, eight paramedics with FDNY EMS Division, and 2,997 civilians lost their life. And it was a reminder for us as a people how fast life can be over and how important each and every day that we live really is. You do not know what tomorrow holds. No one can be certain of that. The one thing we can be certain of, though, is who holds tomorrow, who's in charge, and I'm thankful that the Lord has seen us through, and uh, no doubt there is still war, there is still hate, there is still strife in our world, but we as Christians, we have the hope, the promise that one day we'll get to go to the place that Brother Arthur was singing about a few minutes ago. It's a wonderful place, a place of peace and joy, where there is no more terrorism Where there is no more death, nor sorrow, no crying, that place is called heaven. And I'm thankful today that we have that truth and that promise of what heaven is for all of those who believe. Luke chapter 4, we'll go down to verse number 14. I want to give you a quick glimpse into what's taking place here. Jesus has just been tempted by the devil himself for 40 days. He's been in the desert The devil has tempted him, and now he's returning, as the Bible says in verse number 14, in power, victorious to Galilee. There's something you must understand. There's something you must know if you're new to the name Jesus Christ. Not only was he all God, perfect and sinless, but he was all man, perfect and sinless. He did the one thing that I never could do, and that was sinless perfection. And he accomplished it not only as God, but he did it as a man for your benefit and for mine. Verse number 14 tells us that after Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or as we know it, Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day... Is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? And all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words at which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Verse 28 says, And all they in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passed through the midst of them and went his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for a few minutes as we break bread, as we dive into your word. Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. God, that no man would see me, but, Father, that they would see you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come now and use your word, God, to penetrate every heart and every mind. I pray, Lord, that you would bind distraction and take the focus of every heart and every mind. And, Father, I pray that you'd set them before Jesus, before the Holy Spirit of God, that you would use your word to change hearts, to change lives. Lord, I'm thankful that we plant the seed today, but it's God that gives the increase. Do your work, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the front end of this story, but I do want you to to notice, to realize that Jesus was going back. He was returning to the place that he had grown up. And from what we just read, it's obvious, it's clear that the people in this synagogue knew who Jesus was. When he says that today, this scripture that I've just read in your ears has been fulfilled, they even asked each other, is this not Joseph's son? Is that not Jesus who we know? He had returned to his hometown. And what should have been a hometown hero's welcome When he returns to Nazareth, he goes to the synagogue. He opens the scroll of Isaiah that's been given to him. He reads that verse. And instead of simply rolling the scroll back up and handing it to the minister of the synagogue, he opens the scroll. He reads what we have as Isaiah 61 in our Bible. He reads this verse that has words like Preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. He reads this powerful verse. And it would have been one thing and it would have been one outcome if Jesus would have simply closed that scroll, given it back to the minister of the synagogue, and walked away. But that's not what Jesus did. He goes to his hometown, he goes to his home church in his home place. He picks up that scroll, he reads Isaiah 61 and he says, This day, right now, before your very eyes, the prophecy of old that's hundreds of years old, the thing that your grandfather told you would happen, the thing that you have heard preached all of your life, what the prophets proclaimed in faith, that the Messiah would come, that Jesus Christ would come today, right now in this synagogue in Nazareth, it's fulfilled. I am the man for whom you look. And he takes that weight and that pressure of claiming the deity, claiming the power, claiming the throne, if you will, of the Messiah. And he says, don't look anymore. Don't look any further. It's fulfilled. It's happened today, right before your very eyes. And in this story, you would expect to hear the good news that The Messiah had come, hope had come, all of these categorical things that he lists, that captives would be set free, that hearts would have their sins forgiven, that people who are bound down in chains, that they would be set free. You would think that the response of his home folk would be that they would shout with joy, they would cry, they would be happy, they would sing Hosanna, our Messiah, our King, but that's not what happens. The moment that he proclaims that what he's read in Isaiah belongs to him, this is his Instagram bio, if you will. This is who I am. This is my resume. This is the authority on which I stand. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what I can do. And instead of them celebrating, instead of them finding joy, instead of them clinging to him and begging him for him to give them what he possesses, The Bible says that their heart is filled with wrath. It means they got very angry. And the Bible even says that it wasn't just one or two. It wasn't just a couple of folks over here in that corner and one or two over there in that corner. The Bible says that everybody in the room was filled with wrath and anger. And you say, well, they got upset. What's the big deal? Well, if you follow the progression of this story, go back to verse number 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and rose up. So not only did they get mad, but I think these might be North Carolina Baptists. They got up and then they laid hands on him. It says that they actually grabbed the son of God by his clothes. They laid hands on the Messiah the one who would die for their sin, the key to eternal life is literally in their hands, standing there in the flesh of a man and instead of rejoicing and saying, Hosanna, praise God, the Messiah has come, they put hands on him and thrust him out of his own home church, his home synagogue. What a reaction, what a story. And it says not only did they thrust him out, but it, indicates that they were so filled with wrath, so filled with hate for what he had said, that they plan, they conspire in the heat of the the moment with all the emotion. Uh, They're going to take it even further. It's not that they're just going to kick him out of the synagogue for that day. But now he's crossed the line. He's claimed things he ought not to claim. He's talking about holy things that he shouldn't say. Instead of listening, they became angry. And this verse says that they led him to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built. Now, we know that Jesus was born where? Bethlehem, right. And the Bible says that he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but he was raised here in Nazareth. This is his hometown. How many people here, Asheville's your hometown. You may have been born here and came back, but how many can say that Asheville, Buncombe County, Western North Carolina is your hometown? A lot of us. I was born here, raised here, lived a year in Mexico, lived uh, 10 or 12 years in Costa Rica, back and forth there at the end. But at the end of the day, this is my hometown. I love this community. And many in the community know me. I know them. I know that my angles on Lester Highway is store 62. You know, you try to hold on to some Mayberry-esque things. You want to know who's cutting your hair. You don't want them to know everything about you, but this is my home. This is my place, Trinity Baptist Church. I've been here since nine months before I was born. 32 years plus right here. This is home. And I can never imagine walking into this place and feeling the weight and the pressure of all these beautiful faces simply all of a sudden turning to wrath to where you've got this mob of people approaching you uh, to the point they want to lay hands on you. And I can't imagine for the human side, the human element of Christ, how crushing that must have felt. These people that he's known all of his life, these people that he has loved more than they can ever understand. Now, they're throwing him out of the synagogue. They've laid hands on him. And it says that they take him to the brow of Nazareth where the city is built. And what's beautiful about the Bible, and this is where a lot of people begin to get what I like to call spiritual heartburn, is when you say things like this. That the Bible is holy, it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, and God has orchestrated each word to be true. I'm so crazy. I believe in the periods, the commas, the exclamation points. I I believe the maps in the back of my Bible are real. And I, I even challenge you. You can go today. I've been there a few times myself. You can go to Israel today and stand in Bethlehem. And see the place where he was born. Look in the very sky where the angels proclaimed the good news that the Christ, the Messiah, had been born. And you can go today to this very place in Nazareth, this brow of the city where they took Jesus. I've asked my media department, our media team, to put up a couple of pictures. I wanna show you this place where they took Jesus. They lead him out of the synagogue, they put hands on him, and then they take him to the brow. Of Nazareth, the elevated place where the city is built. Let's look at those pictures now from Nazareth. Here it is. Uh, The plaid shirt there to the left, that's my grandfather. Uh, That's Madge Barnum, one of our dear friends that lives in Bethlehem. He's one of our guides and he's teaching. And and we're on basically the back left side of this brow. And you can see the elevation there. I'm, I'm looking basically parallel to a mountain. Uh, oftentimes, you'll see crop-dusting plains eye-level with you. You're so high up. Uh, what a beautiful ex- expanded picture that is. It gives you an idea of the elevation we're talking about. This is the brow of Nazareth, and you're looking down into a very special place. But you can imagine that this is a very scary moment for the life of Jesus. And it's gotten so to the place now that these people are going to kill him. He has so infuriated them, they have so turned to wrath instead of listening to the truth. Remember now, the truth is speaking in that synagogue the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. So the truth was standing in the synagogue speaking the truth. But their response as human beings was to hate the truth. And the Bible says that they take him to the brow of this city. Here we are, you're looking at verse number 28, 29, and 30. Isn't that awesome? Now every time you read Luke 4, 28, 29, and 30, you've got a picture of where you're at. If you think for one moment that the Bible is, is unreal or that there's fake elements to this scripture, I would challenge you to explore that thought. And there we are at the very top. And it says that they plan not only to take and cast him down, but look at the detail the Bible gives. They're going to kill him. They're going to commit a homicide of the hometown hero. But they're so determined to kill him that they've conspired that they would kill him, throwing him over this cliff. But the Bible says headlong, means head first. So if I'm going to take a man and I'm going to take him to the top of that ridge and I'm going to ensure that he goes headfirst, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to get two or three people around me, and we're going to have to literally hoist Jesus into our arms. And we're going to take the Lamb of God, the Son of God, in flesh, and we're going to hold him in our arms, and we're going to communicate back and forth, and we say, all right, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you? Yeah, let's go. And we're going to throw him headfirst down this cliff. That's what the Bible says happened to the hometown hero. Now, here's more proof, more evidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, all God and all man. You see, if Jesus is not all God, then Jesus would have died that day on that mountain. And we would not be here today. There would be no reason for us to congregate together on this Lord's day. But because Jesus was not only all man, but he was all God, the Bible gives us more evidence of his deity. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. He's so powerful, he's so God Almighty that as they are getting ready to kill him, he simply is gone. Imagine what it felt like to be those people in that synagogue. You've heard him say what he said. He read the verse. He said, guess what? That's me. You get mad. You lay hands. You take him to the top of the hill. You get all your friends together. We're going to kill him. This is where he's going to die, right here today. We're going to punish him for what he said. He's going to die right here. Homicide of the hometown hero. But imagine holding his arm, walking him to the brow of Nazareth, and then all of a sudden, oh, no. Can you imagine the conversations that took place in the hearts of those people from the synagogue in Nazareth? Oh no. Oh oh my oh my god. Oh oh could, could it be that we just what he's where did he go? Or did you see him? Did he did he run away? Did you let him go? What happened? No, he just simply disappeared. This is yet again more evidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason we get to this place is because you and I now have a direct microscopic examination of the human heart left unchanged by God. This is the progression of men that do not surrender to Jesus Christ As Lord, the progression of the lost person. You see, all people are born skeptical to the truth. Skeptical to the truth. If I put a $100 bill in my hand and I roll it up and I go to one of these four or five-year-olds and I say, hey, guess what? I've got $100 in my hand. It's the truth. It's right here. And it's yours if you'll just say, yes, you believe that there's a $100 bill in my hand. You know what that four or five-year-old will say? No, there's not. There's not, a four, there's not a $100 bill in there. Skeptical to the truth. But are you sure? I don't know. Are you starting to hear some of those conversations in your head? We are born naturally skeptical as fallen men to the truth. But that grows. If a child's not encountered Christ at a young age, and it's just left to do what humans do, It's born skeptical, but it learns to hate the truth. And what was that four or five-year-old that was cute, that was skeptical of what you said? Now is the rebellious teenager who hates what you say and even will say hurtful things like, I hate you because you, the parent, the grandparent, you represent authority. You represent the truth. And even from there, it grows. You'll learn to hate the truth, but then that human being, that heart left undone It hardens to the truth. It wars against the truth. And the sad part is human beings left without the hope of Christ eventually will become willing to die without the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4 gives us a perfect glimpse of what this is. And here's where we're going with this. And, And really right here, to every emergency responder, to every emergency service worker, to every upper echelon of every law enforcement department, EMS department, fire department, all of those in leadership, all of those that get in a car and check in on duty, all of those that work at the jail, the ER, the 911 center, no matter your role in that system, I think the Bible has given you as first responders an incredible glimpse into what you face on a daily basis. It's right here. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And I'm going to put this verse up on the screen. Because I want you to notice the spelling of these words. Because it can confuse you if you don't pay attention. It says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them those lost. People, But notice the spelling of God. It's, it's a little G-O-D. This is talking about Satan himself. We don't have time to get into all of this structure. But Satan and his dominion, his horde, the demons that were cast out with him from heaven as angels put here on earth with temporary authority, war against people. His plan, his structure is what you witness every day as emergency responders. You witness the the blueprint and the action of the enemy against every man, woman, boy, and girl in Western North Carolina to destroy, to damn, and to deceive. And the Bible's clear that those people who have not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, if you'll notice, it says that it's not their eyes that are blind, but what does it say? It's their mind that's blind. Satan has blinded their minds, the control center, the thought process computer of the human being, if it has not been exposed to the truth, to the light of Christ, then that mind cannot think appropriately. That mind cannot understand right and wrong correctly. That mind cannot see righteousness and goodness and compassion and love the way that Christ sees those things. Their mind is blind. And it may sound sort of cliche. It may feel like old news. It may feel like an opposite to your perspective. But let me share something with you from the bottom of my heart. I believe with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with every fiber of my being that's standing behind this pulpit upon the authority of God's word, not me, not who I am as a person, but on the authority of who God is and what his word says. I believe with all of my heart that the only hope, the only source, the only possibility for us to see a change in this county, in this city, in our area of the state, from Raleigh to Asheville, from Burke County all the way up to Jackson County, the whole state has one hope. It's the person named Jesus. He is the only hope We have. There is not a political system that can fix the problem. There is not a political party that can fix the problem. Democrats can offer all they want. Republicans can offer all they want. Independents can muster all their effort. And at the end of the day, if all three of those factions come together and come out with some radical new plan of unity, it still falls short of what Jesus can do for our community. There's nothing that can touch what Jesus can do. And many of the 911 calls that you handle, that you process, the reports that come to you as leaders, the upper echelon, the fire chiefs, the lieutenants, the captains, the sheriffs, the police chiefs, and you read the reports of what your people have responded to, And you see that your CID processed more suicides than they ever have in the past six months, or you take a look at the age, the median age of the overdose suicide here in Buncombe County. I'm not talking about Oakland. I'm not talking about San Francisco. I'm not even talking about New York. I'm talking about Buncombe County. This beautiful metropolis of hope and truth that long ago was rooted and founded on the truth of God's word. People who believed that it could change their families. Those people that you respond to are the people that Jesus singled out in what he said. If you go back to verse number 18, look at the category of people he's talking about. Look what he says. He says to preach the gospel. Who is he preaching it to? He's preaching it to the poor. That does not mean financially poor. That means spiritually broken That I'm absolutely broke. I don't have a spiritual goodness to my name. If you were to take all the goodness of Winston Parish and mint it into a coin, it would not equal one cent worth saving. Save Jesus, get a hold of my heart. But he said to preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, that he saves, that he regenerates, that he restores and that there is hope. And folks, you respond to people every day who will look at you with tears in their eyes as you put their family member in a body bag. Mamas that will run out and say, he's a good boy, he just got with the wrong crowd. That fentanyl don't belong to him. That dope don't belong to him. He's a good boy, officer. And they look at you, and they look at you with a blank stare of hopelessness. And the truth is, without Christ in this world... There is no hope. But Jesus said, I have come to give hope. He goes on, he says, to heal the broken hearted. And it doesn't matter how long you've lived in this life, in this world, at some point, at some place, your heart's going to get broken. You're going to have to say goodbye to someone that we saw up on the screen. Family, friends, memories, things that you'll cherish for the rest of your time here on this earth. But it's crushing I think of Black Mountain Fire Department, what you've experienced the past few months, the loss of a young life, and it's crushing. Some of those folks that were on that slideshow, the memories of them serving, smiles, all the things that God had allowed them to do and see the service and the heart that they have. And now they're gone, and it breaks our heart. And sometimes you go to work and you put on the uniform and all you experience for 24 or for 12 or for 16 hours is nothing but heartache, broken hearts. Trooper, as you pull over, what's your third or fourth DUI of the shift? Yes, they're breaking the law. Yes, they should not do what they're doing. But the DUI is just the beginning of a broken heart. Sin comes with consequence. And oftentimes, emergency services pick up the broken pieces of that consequence. And it's hard. He said to preach deliverance to the captives. If you ride around Asheville, go up here to Haywood Road, go on into downtown. Go down, go down here to Smoky Park Highway where the restaurants are at the red light. The massive homeless camp, it's behind the train tracks. Dozens of young people who should be at home with their mom and their dad, enjoying a break from college or coming home from work to a home cooked meal. And they're captivated, they're captured. They're in chains. They're in bondage. And you have to go and you have to be the spear of response and deal with things that humanity should never have to deal with. People that will rob their own friends, steal from their own families, harm an elderly member of the community for the sake of a fix. And you've got to respond. You're going to the captives and as much as you want to serve your community and as much as you want to give to the community and as good as a job as you want to do there are days you go home I've been there and it feels like you made no difference and it's the weight of the captivated chained to the floor broken hearted people that we deal with on a daily basis and you know and I know that there's nothing we can do in our power to change their situation. There's nothing we can do to change their life other than to be the representative of Jesus Christ who is hope and who is freedom for them. He said to set at liberty them that are bruised. The word that he uses there means to be something that's under the weight or the pressure that can't go nowhere. They're bruised. If this piece of paper is the bruised subject, it can't go anywhere. It's not free to move. It is stuck in this place because of the heavy object that's on top. And for so many folks in our county, our city, they're bruised. They're crushed underneath the weight of their circumstance. And I think for all of us that are here today that love America that love our community, and that stand for the truth. I think we're going to have to come to a realization that our political system is run rampant with people who look at these people with the problems, who look at these people with the issues, and they see them not as people, but rather as a statistic. You see, no matter what we legislate, no matter what law we create, we cannot correct the problem of the human heart. You can't do it. Well, if we put this law into place, if the Supreme Court will hear it and we're able to put action out, it'll change things. No, not until their heart changes. Just like you cannot change the truth about what the Bible defines as a male and a female. You can't change the truth. The truth is hated. The truth is warred against. It's aggressive these days towards the truth. Why is that? Because Satan fights what he fears. And more than anything, Satan fears the truth. Buncombe County, Asheville, Western North Carolina, Needs Jesus desperately. He is our only hope. And maybe you're here as one of the responders, one of the spearheads into the community and you're in this place. Maybe your heart is broken. Maybe your heart has something heavy on it. Maybe the fact that you have had to work that many suicides, that many drug overdoses mm-hmm. That many cardiac arrests. Wrecks with fatalities. House fires with victims. 24-hour shifts where you run 18 and 19 calls with no sleep. Working another 24 the next day to try to get some overtime. And maybe you're just here today and you're tired. And you're overwhelmed. There is no refuge, there is no peace, and there is no stability that I can offer you that can match the peace, the stability, and the comfort that Jesus brings. You say, well, preacher, I don't really do religion. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship. I'm talking about something that's real, something that's with me when I get up out of the bed in the morning and it follows me all the way back to the bed that night, a personal walk and a relationship. And if you're here today and you're undone, Things inside just can't ever get settled. There may even be a hole that's needing something. In the depth of your heart, you know right now that if you were to die or Jesus were to come, you're not ready for eternity. Would you do me a favor and never consider leaving this building without getting that settled? Take an opportunity. Come talk to one of the pastors we'll take God's word we'll show you what it means to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. And he can change Asheville. He can change Buncombe County. And he can change even me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we've tried to be obedient to what you've put in our hearts, to preach Jesus and what he can do what he can bring. Lord, I'm so thankful that you love us right where we are. We don't have to get cleaned up to come to you. But no matter where we've been, no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done, we can come to you in childlike faith and we can cast ourselves at the mercy of Christ. The Bible's clear. Lord, you've already promised us that you're faithful to forgive us our sins. Lord, I pray for the firefighter that's here today that's struggling, for the police officer here today that's ready to quit because of the pressure, for the paramedic that's burned out, for the dispatcher who can't take another screen, for the leader who can't take any more of the pressure. God, I pray that you'd sustain my friends. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd give them what it takes to stay right where they are, serving their community, fighting a fight, fighting a war that many of us cannot fight. I pray for every officer, every ambulance, every fire truck that'll hit the road in the next year in our county. Would you surround them with angels? Lord, every door that those officers knock on, would you be standing there keeping guard? Lord, for every crack house, every meth lab that they go into, would you watch over them? Would you keep them safe? Lord, for every fire that our firemen are gonna fight, for the ceiling that's about to let go, for the flash that's getting ready to take place, would you keep them alert? Would you keep them safe? Lord, for our paramedics, our EMTs, Lord, for every call that they go on, for every pain and for every hurt that they treat, would you surround them and protect them? Lord, for our dispatchers who have to hear so much heartache, so much brokenness, would you sustain them? Protect their heart, protect their emotions. Lord, I pray over the leadership of every department, every elected official that's here, every elected official to come. Lord, would you give us righteous people that love God to serve in office. Lord, I pray that you'd bless these that are here today. Help them feel the weight of their office, sustain them to do it, and may they do it ever pleasing to you. Lord, touch our city, touch our county, and touch our country in Jesus name we ask all of these things is there anyone here under the sound of my voice say pastor if I had to be honest if I had to be transparent I'm in emergency services no one's looking around no one's moving no one's going to embarrass you or ask you to come forward but is there anyone here that's working in emergency services or the family member of someone in emergency services you say pastor it's been a tough year I'm having a tough time Things are hard. I need you to pray for me. No one's going to come to you or embarrass you. I just want to know how to pray. My pastors are going to look with me. We just want to know how to pray. Would you just raise your hand? God bless you, sir. I see your hand. Any others? God bless you, sir. I see your hand. God bless you, sir. I see your hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Any others? Pray for me, pastor. It's been a difficult year. God bless you. I see you there in the back. Thank you for being tender. Well, here's what I can promise you as you look forward this morning. Trinity Baptist Church will pray for you. We are here for you and we believe in you. We're thankful for your service, your dedication, and your sacrifice. And as we close this morning, if you're here and you're unsure about eternity, if the thought of dying makes you nervous and you don't know where you'd spend all of eternity, would you come talk to me? Say, I don't know what it means. I don't understand any of it. Would you explain it? I'll be more than happy to talk to you. I'd love to take the gospel, the Bible, tell you the good news, to show you what scripture says. I thank you for being here today. God's good to us, isn't he? Amen. Trinity family, thank you today for being a part and for sharing in this service and being here. I want you to go outside. I want you to look at every fire truck, every ambulance, that is the most beautiful ambulance I have ever seen in my entire life parked out front. It's a four-seater. It looks like an aircraft carrier. I wish I'd have had an ambulance like that. They probably wouldn't have let me have it for very long. I'd have broke something. Look at the police cars, the bear cats here. There was a ladder truck outside. Did mama get to land today because of weather? Mama was supposed to land and be here, but because of weather, she was unable. But I wanna thank each and every one of you for being here. plan on this next year. We'll have another service together. Uh, My heart would be to have more apparatus, more personnel here. Hopefully we're taking some steps out of the pandemic and we'll be able to continue to build back what God had already given us. All of our emergency service personnel and families, would you please stand? All emergency service personnel and families, please stand. Let's give them another round of applause. Love you. Appreciate you.